We go to what's familiar because we're not risk takers by nature. Right. Hi, I'm Phil, and you're listening to Drinks with a Pastor as part of the Imagine Church Ministry Network. In this episode, we're talking with Ryan Gernand, a 20-year career ministry veteran, finally discovering the joy of participating in a mission that's not attached to income. He and his wife started an advertising agency in Muncie, Indiana, focused on elevating small businesses and nonprofit organizations. All right, so we're here with, uh, well, Ryan Gernand. So, Ryan, why don't you take just a second and, uh, one, introduce yourself, and then, two, introduce us to this uh, monstrosity that you have brought with us. Yeah, uh, yeah. With you here. Uh, so, my name is Ryan Gernand. Uh, most, uh, most people who know me and love me uh, call me Gern. Uh, just was was my brother's nickname originally. He's about six years older than me, and when I got into school, uh, it was still hanging around, and people started calling me it. And so, yeah, um, I was a uh, youth pastor early on in my life. Uh, quickly, I uh, found my way into uh, camping ministry. I uh, spent 16 years there, and just recently. I uh, started up uh, my own advertising agency with my wife, Kelsey, and we are, yeah, diving into the next journey of life that uh, you asked for a bio, and the uh, the thing I wrote on it was, uh, finally discovering the joy of mission without influence on my income, and that is actually a really fun thing, so yeah, it's kind of cool to to do ministry, not because you're getting paid for it, Yeah. so it's a very, it's a very different process especially after 20 years yeah 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 what's been the most enjoyable thing about doing ministry not being paid for it uh like what makes it so much so rewarding or great or fun you know i don't know if i can hone that in um it's just you know i mean whenever something is your job uh there's there's a certain fatigue you know there's a certain responsibility there's a certain uh, burden that you have to carry. Whenever you're looking at each day, you also have to weigh out what do I need to do right now because it's the right thing. What do I need to do because it's the next thing? What's going to create the next you know great step forward? But then at the same time, you have to always step back and go, I'm going to upset somebody. How might this influence that? How might this influence my career trajectory? How might this influence this next position I'm hoping to get? Uh, there, there's just things that you always carry. And when you're just doing ministry and mission because it's the right thing, you just do it because it's the right thing. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, so this monstrosity. This is the, uh, what are these things, like 44 ounces? Pretty sure. Uh, I think, I can't remember what, yeah, this Parks is, and Rec. What this the, is the 44 going? ounce. Um, so this is just simply a uh, uh, Mountain Dew and fruit punch. This is this was this was so in college we used to so this was at Ball State. Uh, I would go down to the discount den uh, during the middle of my work day, and I would grab myself a back then thirty two ounce was the big one. I'd grab the thirty two ounce uh, Mountain Dew and and, and High C because no Hawaiian punch. Sorry, they had Hawaiian punch on tap. Uh, down on there. On tap. On tap. So now your last is handy dandy here in Columbia City is not that fancy. And so I had to buy brisk fruit punch, which I've never had before, out of a bottle and then dump it in. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the clerks thought I was getting ready to steal things because <laughs> there I am, you know, cracking stuff open and dumping it in. And Well, 
I think yours is stirred a little bit, but we'll get to the Mountain well, and, Dew and I'll get And jittery. mine's diet too, so that it's a little uh, little more accessible. Because whenever you're drinking 44s, I mean, like, that's a lot of calories you've got right there. Like, that's probably more than a day's worth. Luckily, I didn't eat dinner yet. So <laughs> Luckily, this is your dinner chew on it. Um, so. One of the things I want to ask people is in the last one year, mm-hmm. ministry or life uh, event, what's the, been the most, uh, what's been the biggest surprise? What's been the thing that, you were like, man, I just, God really came through on this. Or even if it's something maybe not great, like, um, you know, what's been the biggest surprise where you've seen God kind of carry you through something to the end or uh, God really pulled through on something for you? Hmm. So you're looking for a positive here. Could be, could, <laughs> it could be, it could be anything. So yeah. uh, don't let me box you in on anything. Okay. Okay. Honestly, one of the most surprising things uh, to happen to me this last year in the midst of, um, you know, kind of coming to this 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 headwind where, you know, I left the camping ministry um, expectedly, unexpectedly, and the way that it all unfolded um, was the opportunity that whenever I looked back, I realized I love the camp. So, so don't get me wrong here. I love... I love the camps and I love where they're going and I believe that great things are getting ready to happen. But how unhealthy my my time was being spent mm-hmm. um, because of the way that, like like many ministries, I mean, and, and this is one of the things. This wasn't just something that I discovered about myself. I discovered it about many other people. And as I began to step back from the relationship and I could see everything. And I could look at the friends that I have who work in churches, and I could see other people who are in ministry settings and realize how how the system is not set up well, and everybody's giving way too much. Everybody is undervalued. Everybody is undertrained. Everybody is thrown to the wolves. They are under-resourced. And... I was so surprised by this. I don't know how I was surprised by it. I mean, I've I've I've, I've been working in churches since, you know, what ninety seven. I, <laughs> I was, mean, I was seven. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> I, I knew exactly what was happening. Mm-hmm. You know, I I would put in sixty and seventy hour weeks sometimes, and I'm hard pressed to find another person in camping or. Uh, a pastor or a youth pastor who doesn't feel that they have those same kind of hours and expectations. Um, Stepping away from it and then being able to look back at it made me just suddenly realize like, wow, this is, this is so not healthy. This is, yeah, like just utterly amazed. I mean, like leaving and going, wow. Okay. So like, I'm ready, like, to, to, to go and figure out what's next. And I remember applying for jobs and thinking, I have no credentials at all. Any other job that you would be in as you would secure new responsibilities in an organization, hey, we need to get you this qualification, this certification. You know, In the church, the uh, saying is, um, God doesn't, uh, what is it? God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. Well, yeah, but nobody told the church to actually like, <laughs> fully assist them in, in getting those qualifications. God will just handle it. It's God's okay. just got this one under control. I, I think that was one of the biggest surprises. You know, and, and this isn't a critique of the camps. This is a this is just simply a, a realization that stepping away gave me the ability to 
look back in at everything and go, wow, that's, that's a gaping hole. And that's not me. This isn't an isolated situation. No. I don't think I could find somebody who would tell me that their story is different. No, yeah. And that's, that kind of leads to why I really think this channel and, and these different talks are going to be really good. Because I think there's a lot of pastors out there that are doing 60 plus hours and it's their, their bivocational. So they're also doing their day sure. job. Uh, and so what we want to do is, is talk to people with experience doing all these really cool, uh, interesting, knowledgeable things that they've accrued over time in ministry and get it in the hands of people working in churches yeah. to say, hey, instead of doing 20 hours on this, here's a guy who can tell you how to do this in five and get you better results or et cetera, et cetera. And so one of the things with you in particular that I really wanted to talk about uh, was uh, the idea of a missional church or mm-hmm. like a church mission, a church vision, kind of uh, how do churches operate with purpose. Um, yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of churches and I think maybe a lot of people in the world that might say like, well, churches, you just open the doors and people come in on a Sunday. That's a thought. And whoever comes in, that's who you got. Um, so let's just open the doors. Um, so what, what would you say, why can't we just open up doors and let people come in? Why does the church need to look and say, hey, what, what are we going to do? What's our vision to get there? And how do we get through those things? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, as... On a personal level, uh, my church, Commonway Church, uh, out of Muncie, we uh, we just went through a vision assessment and kind of trying to dive in and figure out what it was. So there were, I think, 10 of us who were originally invited in, and we were a part of uh, this this team that was just simply working with a, um, a coach who was coming in and then uh, our uh, senior pastor and administrative pastor, and we were just kind of trying to assess what is it that God's telling us about our situation, about where we are, about what makes us unique, about the history behind us, about the community surrounding us, about our neighbors, about our financial situations. Uh, Whenever we look at other churches in the community, what do we see about who we are and what it is that God might be inviting us to? And so through a lot of prayer, through a lot of readings, we just simply opened up conversations to figure out where it could kind of take us. And so, um, Went through that process, and yeah, it was, it, was, it was kind of asking some of these same questions. Right now, I'm also working with one of my clients, uh, just trying to walk through a uh, what is what is their brand ethos? Um, what is it that they stand for? What is it that they represent? And so, you know, working working through the mission, the vision, and the values that they currently have, and trying to do personality assessments and figure out exactly what what they are, so that they can figure out moving forward, what is it that we want people to know about us? Because sometimes just opening the doors uh, is is the greatest way to death. <laughs> you know, um, we, we have to be doing something more. You know, uh, missional, uh, you kind of threw this word out there, and, and, and it is one of those kind of hot buzz words. Like, right. what does it mean to right. be If you look on missional? the bookshelf, I have five books up there that say missional <laughs> on them, right? <laughs> I remember when it was a new word, and you're still trying to figure out like why does why does Microsoft Word keep uh, keep keep redlining this thing, you know it's it means a lot, but I think in the end, I, it just means intentional integration into everything, um, not just simply doing things for the sake of doing things, but creating a purpose that is intertwined and that is organic, creating something that is. Um, that is actively affecting people's lives and not just passively presenting opportunities. 
And I think that's one of the, the biggest hurdles that I see right now. I think, um, I think a lot of churches uh, struggle with, but we're doing it. We're putting it out there. But yeah, but we're not, we're not being present. We're not coming alongside people. And I think that's where um, so much of what has to happen in the next decade is that we as uh, the church, and I'm not talking about the organization, I'm talking about those people who have um, said that they want to uh, live a life that reflects the life of Jesus. We have to learn how to come alongside people and not just passively see their lives and offer a prayer, offer a thought, offer a uh, Facebook post, but actually to come alongside people, to sit in their mess along with them and be present, not teach them, not correct them, not train them. And even in those moments, I mean, when the moment's right, it'll present itself. But in the meantime, just be present. Right. That's the first doorway. There's a lot more uh, an idea of doing something as opposed to, I know, you know, going through a seminary, you hear all these different people like, well, we just came up with our new mission and vision statement, and then the actions don't follow yeah. through with it, right? You, you created these sort of barriers and yeah. boundaries that you want to, here's how we're going to target, but then you've got everything still goes in every other direction. Um, it's actually putting your ideas into into, into something you're actually going to do yeah. instead of just being like, no, we're going to really love the homeless this year. Yeah. Yeah. So, and know, then you just do what you're trying to do anyway. Right. Yeah. Smart goals exist for a reason, you know, that whole concept, you know, uh, yes. yeah, it's, it has to be measurable. It has to be actionable. It has to be realistic. You know, these are the a kind timeline. Of, yeah. Okay. It has to. Yeah. <laughs> Simple. You know, we so often create visions that are unattainable. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's just simply putting out a goodwill of yeah we're going to. You got to be specific. You got to put something together that is going to actually have an outcome to it that you can achieve, and then and then you can begin to draw people into because people want to do something more. Um, I, I think in, in in many in a lot of situations there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of reasons people have left the church. Mm-hmm. Um, Every, everybody's got a unique story of uh, why. And, and when you look at many denominations and you look at many churches, you can see that a lot of them are shrinking right now. There's, there's, there's some that are growing, but there's many that are shrinking. And in that, I think one of the biggest reasons is that there's just not, there's not an action for most people who are there at the church. There's not a responsibility. There's not an ownership. There's just simply... In, in the camping ministry and in youth ministry over the last uh, three to four decades, uh, it was what we call an attractional model of ministry. And attractional ministries are very, uh, they treat the audience uh, as, as somebody who is meant to be entertained. And so we, we do everything we can to, to treat them as a customer, to make sure that they're happy, that they're excited, that they're engaged. You know, and we try to, you know, it's, it's, it's always about getting them in the door one next time and never over-asking. Because if you over-ask, they might disappear. Right. And when we do that, we've done a huge disservice. Uh, we've, we've taken away the calling within the gospel itself. Yeah. It was never to sit and watch. Somebody not too long ago, they were, they were discussing mission and vision. And, and, and they, they put it in one of the ways that just absolutely just kind of 
just just like floored me. Like it was one of those like, ah, oh, that is that is like so perfect. And I, I wish I could remember who it was or where I read it at. I, I can't ever recall things like this for some reason. Uh, mission. Mission is what you do every day. Right. Like that's it. Like, okay, this is what we do every day. This is the this is the critical what we do. No, no question about it. This is this is what we do every day. Vision is what we hope to create someday. Cool. You know, it's like it was that differentiation and that designation that was just so obvious. Like, ah, oh, so like if you're trying to put together a business, you're trying to think, okay, what is the youth ministry about? What is our church about? What is it you do every day? This is this is this is that. And then you know, it's your vision and your core values that are going to begin to break down what it is you're working towards. You know, community betterment. The uh, uh, trans- transformation of the homeless in your community, whatever whatever real kind of target, that's where you look at those vision. And then the core values are the specific pieces that are going to help you get there. It's, 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 it, it, it has to be the thing that everyone collectively agrees. This is, this is what's most important. And then begin to break out. Well, what do we value as an organization? What do we value as a, as a collective community? Well, we value... You know, authenticity in worship. Okay, well then, let's forget about professional musicians. Yeah, let's, we want, let's live with what we've got. Let's, let's, just, let's just be comfortable with what yeah. we have, and let's redirect this towards that. Well, we want to, yeah. I don't know, I just lost my train of thought there on where I was going <laughs> to go next. Deal. But yeah, it, it's just simply identifying that each of these core values are going to speak to uh, the mission, and they're going to speak to how you're going to accomplish what that end vision is. What do you think, so if, if you're trying to start one, you know, you said everyone's got to get on board. It's got to be, you know, the mission and you have these pillars underneath it that support it uh, as part of the vision. What's the biggest hurdle for a church or a ministry group or someone that's saying, hey, we need to get these put together. What's the thing that they're going to have to do the most work into to kind of get something like this going to sort of help their church get those, you know, bumpers down the lane of bowling alley to help everyone steer down the same direction. What's the biggest hurdle for most churches or what do you think? It it may ultimately be history. I think just simply the cultural climate of the church you kind of put it so well, you know. I mean, sometimes it feels like we're all just waiting for for the the butler to come along or the waiter to come along and and serve us. And it's like, um, along the way, uh, the past twenty years have not been great at building a church that is. F- and, and 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 there are many examples of churches that are doing amazing volunteerism work and everything else like this. But whenever I think just collectively at large, legacy. Yeah, um, I think I think a lot of. Uh, where the church is, is that we have become consumer-oriented in the way that we approach it. We've become so, um, you know, it's the, uh, it's the quintessential, you know, uh, me-generation modern thinking. Uh, it's all about the individual. It's all about self. And, you know, we lost the collective y'all that's supposed to be present in community and in Scripture, you know. Uh, it was It was never meant to be about one and we made well i mean all of american culture is about one me yeah it's about me yeah it's it's one of those difficult things and i don't know if anybody has that solution to how you how you break that 
American individual, you know, that rugged American individualism mindset mm-hmm. that um, has seeped its way into into the church life. That yeah. well, if I'm not being served here, I'm going to go to a church that has the thing that's going to serve me, yeah. um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, awesome. So for you, how do you stay most up to date with what's going on in church ministry world? Like, what do you? Are you, you know, is there something you're reading this or like, hey, I read this and it's really awesome. And people that are, you know, interested in discovering something, this is kind of the avenues I found to help stay most up to date. Yeah, Sports Illustrated for Kids is probably. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, Me magazine. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't have any, uh, any great like one off resource. Um, it's just listening. Uh, try to trying to make sure that I am. Um, I'm not allowing an echo chamber of uh, voices to just simply reinforce uh, myself into a corner that I know. Yeah, I'm 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 completely blind to everything else. Uh, and so trying to make sure that uh, in whatever social feeds we're in and whatever um, conversations that I'm. I'm taking time to try and listen. Uh, I know it's 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 easy. Um, there are there are many times where I'll realize like I am totally like, yep. I've I've brought my perceptions uh, to the table and my presuppositions, and I've excluded the ability for other thought. And so just being able to take time uh, to step back and to uh, spend more time listening than I do speaking uh, is probably the the most critical thing. Uh, Reading, uh, one of the things I think that I got, uh, I got into a stale place with, and I wasn't reading as much as I should have been, or I would read things that were only really short, uh, so that that way I didn't have to commit myself to anything. Um, just picked up uh, Dan Kimball's How Not to Read the Bible, mm. and I tell you, that thing is revolutionary. 25 years ago, this would have transformed the way that I was approaching ministry and um, there's nothing in it that's new I don't I don't think I'm reading anything in it and going ah this is but it's it's a it's a collective space that is summarizing so many things that we did wrong learning how to do ministry Uh, because once again you know in a None of the guys that I was and, and girls that I was doing ministry with went to school to learn how to become youth pastors or to learn how to be in camping ministry. You know, we were all just people who got picked up along the way. And um, yeah, there's there's a lot of things that it's like, oh man, learned this one seven years ago, learned this one, you know, twenty years ago. But it's like to have this one resource that really summed up how we how we help people approach. Uh, a relationship with scripture so that we can translate that into the relationship of how they're going to interact with these learning points uh, would have been completely transformational to the way that we were doing ministry back then. And that was Dan Kimball? Yeah, Dan Kimball's uh, How Not to Read the Bible. How Not to Read the Bible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, if uh, if I had a friend... If I had a friend who was, uh, you know, telling me that they were suddenly interested in, in, in Jesus for the first time, I would not hand them a Bible. I would hand them this. What a confusing book to hand someone. Is <laughs> I know. Like, I know. Uh, at one point in your career, you were part of a team that helped kind of adjust the sort of focus, mission, vision of the high school camping ministry 
for the UMC here in Indiana. Um, and so kind of maybe putting them together, maybe not. Uh, what's something you wish you had known kind of when you started? And what was that process of changing that mission and vision like? And would you have done something different now looking back at how all the things you've learned over time? Yeah. Um, this would have been then at the uh, the end of the 2008 camping season. Uh, over the previous uh, like six, seven years, uh, the high school program had uh, uh, nearly hit a 50% decline. Uh, just basically year over year, they were, they were losing um, 100 to 150 kids every year. So it was a pretty painful process. And um, we got to the end of uh, that 2008 season, and we had been putting together a strategy to launch a uh, new alternative high school program to run alongside uh, the existing institute model. Uh, Institute was the name of the program that had been implemented back in the uh, 20s, I think was the original kind of data. Back when the word institute wasn't scary. Yeah, when when it wasn't (laughs) uh, scary and yeah. so we were uh, we were looking at trying to figure out a uh, program that we could run alongside of it, how we would change it, how we would transform it. Uh, whenever, whenever you look at the the critical function of that in in the camping ministry, it's assumed that uh, a pretty high percentage of the students make their way through multiple years of the programs. Uh, very rarely is a student a one off. Um, and so, you know, you might have, you know, a student for three years, you might have them for five years. We had students for 12 years. And if you have a student for 12 years and at their senior year of camp, you're still performing evangelism, let me tell you, you are really bad at evangelism. <laughs> like if you're first, the first 11 didn't stay. First 11 just, yeah. You know, and, and, and you actually nailed on to one part of of the vision change is that we we found that so many of our students approached uh, their salvation as something that didn't stick uh, because it was about these mountaintop experiences. It was about coming back to camp so that they could get right with Jesus finally yet again. Uh, and this time it would be the right time, you know. Um, so we were, we were stepping back and trying to look at what is it that we do really, really well, and what is it that we need to transform to help these students take on a next understanding. And so part of that was beginning to go, okay, and, and, you know, and this goes back to one of the things I, I kind of mentioned earlier. People need a responsibility. They need an outcome. They need an action that is not just simply get good until you're bad again and then and then they would they would wait. Uh, we would even you know through through conversations and surveys, um, you know we were finding that the students, um, even whenever they were, uh, you know they would have a great you know experience at camp and they'd go home and something would happen in their life you know this uh, sin experience of some sort that would derail them and then it was like well at this point I'm just waiting till camp. I'll just wait till June. Well, why don't you just get right now? Right. Well, no, I just gotta wait till camp. No, you don't. Like, it doesn't you, count unless there's stairs. Yeah, yeah. I gotta be dressed up in my finest, you know. And so we were, we were, we were, we were trying to figure out, you know, we had, we had this giant list of the things that were uh, cultural norms that had kind of developed that we needed to break and shake, that we needed to uh, really twist around. And so we, uh, 
we pitched it all out to the camping board uh, there back in uh, 2008, and they uh, they were like, "This this sounds great. Let's 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 just take this completely. You know, if it's if it's going to work, then let's just run this whole thing." And so uh, we ended up uh, changing um, changing the entirety of the program and not running two programs side by side, uh, which in the end was good. It, it gave us the critical mass to really make the transition. Um, it was it was also a lot of growing pains. Um, you know, I, I assume, uh, you know, you've, you've, you've had the experience of releasing volunteers before and there's a, there's a thousand and one bad ways to do it. And there's probably like two uh, good ways. maybe, maybe a half of a good way to do it. Um, you know, because, uh, yeah. And so, um, you know, just how those transitions happen, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's hard to make those moments work well without, uh, Yeah. So I would have loved to, uh, yeah, kind of uh, seen that happen differently. But I, I honestly can't tell you how we would have done it differently. Um, but in the end, it was, a, it was a necessary change. And it gave us the opportunity to really launch into uh, Next. And so what Next was, was uh, uh, we, yeah, we were, we were capitalizing on the idea of missional. And so we were creating a missional camp experience. We weren't, uh, we weren't trying to uh, get kids there to uh, get them saved. We were trying to let Jesus do his thing while they lived their life following him. You know, and so I remember one of the uh, most interesting things during the first year, um, we still did evangelism, but whereas in the old model, evangelism was like the end of the week experience. Ramped like, yeah, it. everything ramps up to this call to ministry, or not call to ministry, this, uh, um, this, this, this altar call where, you know, the kids were invited and, you know, they were all dressed up and they had this big to-do about it, like they were marrying Jesus. And we, we just simply kind of, you know, ran through the gospel in, you know, two, two worship sessions and a couple small group moments. And we kind of offered this, like, the gospel's pretty compelling. Like, do you want to, do you want to see and discover this life that Jesus is inviting you to? And if, 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 if you want to follow, we want you to kind of follow this journey. Right. And so, you know, like ours was kind of that first moment was within the first 24 hours. And I mean, everybody was kind of, you know, a little, a uh, little shocked by the experience, but, um, in, in the end it worked out pretty well. Um, we, uh, we were at going into breakfast the next morning and this student who was on his fifth year of camp. And so he was one of those that was really, really disappointed that we were, because the transition happened on his final year. Like his senior year was ruined because of this was what he told me. And, uh, he, uh, he stops me on my way down to the dining hall. He goes, so I gave my life to Jesus again last night. Now what am I supposed to do for the rest of the week? <laughs> what a, what, what a, a sad, but like eye opening statement. Yes. Like, we yes. don't know what's next. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because at, at this point, if, if this was the pinnacle, uh, church had no value to him as an adult. And that yep. was the model of ministry that we were building. Um, and, and we all were. I mean, as a youth pastor, I can, I can look back to certain times as a 19 and a 20-year-old where, yeah, I was setting that up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, yeah, it, 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 was, it, was, it was a wonderful moment to have that with him. But... It, it really just continued to drive forward even further. Okay, here's where we're going with this. And 
we tried just simply to uh, take certain things that had become standards in the program that we loved, uh, but that had lost some of their organic drive. You know, there used to be these experiences where students would, um, they would raise money that would go to the, uh, what they call it, the Youth Service Fund, I think it was, if I recall, YSF maybe. And uh, it was it was a scholarship fund of some sorts. I couldn't even tell you what it actually served. Um, but so in the end, nobody was really excited about it. It was just a, an opportunity to talk to people about popsicles and read silly comic books to other people and maybe put on a dance or something. And so we just simply turned it off. Uh, you know, like it, it was really – it was – it was kind of one of the uh, scariest moments because I was like, okay, so we're just going to turn this off and I'm going to see if they can get excited about it themselves. Right. And before the week was over, no youth pastor told them to, but students were collectively raising money for justice causes of their own. Yeah. You know, they were, hey, you know, this, 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 this one student was all about Heifer International, something he'd heard about at his home church, you know, like two years ago. And he's like, hey, we've been talking about, you know, these, because I, I don't know if you remember that first year or not, but we did the, um, it was that pilgrimage journey. Mm-hmm. It was the, uh, the opportunity where students walked around a bunch of different stations and they encountered um, a physical representation and a storytelling that walked them through situations of injustice. Uh, Children in sweatshops, uh, the water crisis, the hunger crisis in America, the um, uh, diseases and epidemics like AIDS and HIV and malaria. And, you know, so we we, we walked them through all these different things. Human uh, sex trafficking was another one that a a bunch of students got really, really on board with that. And they just started simply becoming active we were we were we weren't telling them they needed to be concerned about this we told them about jesus and the opportunity jesus wanted to do with our lives and then we told them about some really bad things that were going on and that was another one of those moments this guy comes up to me during the middle of one of these stations, and it's supposed to be this time of silence. Right. And as they walked, they had a, we, we kind of mapped it out so everybody had a three-minute walk in between. And this one guy stops me, and he is, like, angry. I mean, he had just left, left the sex trafficking one, and he was just pissed. <laughs> and I remember he came up to me. He was shaking, like shaking, trembling. I thought he was going to hit me. Do you know what you're doing? Honestly, I wasn't really sure. I mean, I was like 27. Um, like, do you know what you're exposing these kids to? The, the, the hurt and the, 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 the pain that's in the suffering that's in this world. Mm-hmm. It's like, what are the answers? What are they supposed to do about this? Who's going to fix this? I remember just kind of standing there like, wow. You really don't know. <laughs> Right. Like, they. They're going to. They will. They will. They will. But they live in a bubble in the middle of the, the, the pristine Midwest. Right. They don't see pain. No. Nope. They don't see suffering. They don't see hurt. Um, and when they do, it's masked badly. And we all try to pretend like we're in that perfect, pristine condition. And we. We popped the bubble, and years passed. I mean, students uh, students didn't want to leave camp because it was so much fun. You know, this this was a place where 
their faith was affirmed, where they felt good and shiny, where, right. yeah, like, oh, I don't want to go home. I get that. I loved it. I remember being there in that position. And I remember uh, during, during years uh, following that pastors who had made the transition uh, from the old program into the new program, that thing, multiple times I heard how interesting it was that their students could not wait to leave because they wanted to go back home and start something. And do, do something. Do something. <laughs> that normally there were these tears and the anxieties of how they were going to leave and they were going to find themselves struggling on, on reentry. But they now found reentry to be something to look forward to and to recognize that, look, whatever failure this is, Tomorrow's a new day. Right. The sun will rise, and I'll start over right then. I don't have to wait. Till next you know? year. And so building out that mission and that vision, I'd like to say it was an easy process. It was just simply all the conversations, finding all the people who, and recognizing what we loved about ourselves and what we disliked about ourselves. You know, what was it that we, it was an honest look. And honest looks are hurtful looks. Right. You know, because you have to own everything that you're doing wrong. And that's not easy to do. Um, but whenever we take the time to look at and own what we're not great at, that's whenever I think we have the most opportunity ahead. Right. And so, um, yeah, it was, it, was a, it, it was such a cool experience to be a part of. To sort of wrap a bow around this as we're getting close to a time mark, one of the things that you said that I think people should know if you're like, hey, let's do this. I, I want to, if, if I'm right, you can just be like, yeah, I'm going to try to see what you said here. One, you've got to own the things you're not good at. Uh, if you're going to look at what your vision, what your mission and how you're going to accomplish it is, you got to kind of own those things you're not doing particularly well um, and be honest about your evaluation. Um, and sometimes that can be a pruning thing. Um, like, hey, let's just... This is not fruitful to what we're trying to accomplish, so we're going to prune. Um, and having open conversations about what it is you're trying to get to. Um, and to know along the way that there are going to be people that might not like the direction you're heading. Mm. And it doesn't mean the direction you're heading isn't fruitful or, or divine and, or you know spiritually guided. Yeah. It's just a different direction for some people. Yeah. Uh, and so even though it looks like some guy's going to punch you in the face where you have long calls with pastors that are upset about a transition, you can still see good fruit. You just, if you're, if you're taking the time to work through it, being honest about where you are, where you want to be and setting those achievable goals, you can see that come to fruition, even if it's going to be bumpy along the way. And, yeah. and it's okay if it's bumpy because it's a, it's a turning of a direction. Um, very cool. That's, that's it. Is there anything I should have asked you that I didn't? I think in the line of that biggest challenge, is the recognition that we, we have violated the natural cycle of life. In doing so, I think we have, we have uh, stunted the spiritual growth process massively. So when you look at, um, when you look at just nature, Everything has a life cycle, right? Right. A beginning and an end. When it dies, what does it do? 
it decomposes. Returns to the earth from which it came, right? And certain bugs, certain animals, carrion eaters will come along. They will eat those kind of things. Get the nutrients. Yeah. What happens whenever organizations don't die? They just keep taking resources. They don't return back. Yeah, they're they're not returning back. They're they're also uh, not innovating as much, right? I mean... During, during our youth is when we are most likely to be dreamers. We're most likely to be adventurous. We're most likely to be risk takers. We're most likely to go out and do the wild things, right? But when we're in our 70s, you know, I, I was, I'm, I'm working on uh, retirement plan stuff right now as I'm transitioning mine. You know, I was uh, talking with this one organization and... <clears throat> really, really aggressive uh, retirement plans. Another one was not really aggressive, you know, and, and, and they asked me in the end, whenever I told them why I was going with this other one, I said, you know, they're just, they're just way more aggressive. I'm still in my 40s. I'm hoping not to access this till I'm in my 70s. And so whenever I get to my 60s and I want something safe and stable, I'm going to call you guys up. Right. Because that's where I want to be and I'll move everything over there then. I said, but in the meantime... I want I want risk taking, uh, yeah. I want I want something aggressive, and you know, and 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 he kind of affirmed it. He said, "Yeah, the disbursement phase is our bread and butter. That's who we are. Great, you know who you are. Mm-hmm. The older our, our organizations get, our churches get, the less innovative each of them become, because we become in that. All right, I can't be a risk taker. Right." There's, there's too much. And the older we get, the more we seek safety, the more we seek um, easy, the more we seek comfortable, familiar. And whenever we do that, we don't allow our resources to return to the startups. Right. You know, we go to what's familiar because we're not risk takers by nature. Right. And so... Organizations, every organization, I believe, should have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And so we as a church are constantly trying to pursue longevity instead of allowing ourselves right. to go, hey, you know what? We did our run. Right. And it was great. And it's time to pass our legacy on to another body that's coming up. And it's time to move into that next phase. And I think that can be that cyclical motion of vision and mission. Like if you're just, if 20 years ago you came up with what you were doing and you're just riding that thing to the end, there's a, there's a cycle and a cyclicalness to reinventing, remission, refocusing and revisioning yeah. to continue to reach new and, and different populations yeah. and uh, et cetera. But I think that's corporate. I think that's not, yeah. it's in the nonprofit sector. Uh, it's, it's everywhere. Uh, there is, there is, there's a lot to be learned in the, in that analogy of yeah, like or or organic matter returns, and that's part of the ecosphere. Yeah. That's that's the way it's supposed to be. I think organizations are the same way. If we don't redistribute every resource that comes along with an organization, yeah, like there there, there comes a point where I think we should just go. You know what? It was good. Yeah. Let's let somebody else have a turn. Let's let's see where someone else can take it. Cool. You know. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Ryan, hey, thanks so much for joining and uh, hope to have you back. Yeah, yeah. Bye. Bye.
That's it for this episode of Drinks with a Pastor as part of the Imagine Church Ministry Network. Make sure that you subscribe to our podcast to stay up to date with all of our episodes, as well as check out our YouTube channel for other instructional videos and church tours so that we can continue to Imagine Church ministry together.